Welcome to Get Up in the Cool, old-time music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friend is Tony Mates with special guest guitarist Kate Lichtenstein. This is my last pre-COVID-19 episode, I'm sorry to say. We recorded this in Olympia, Washington during the Oli Old Time Festival. I want to thank Get Up in the Cool's newest Patreon supporter, Nathaniel Puffer, and Cindy Richardson for raising her pledge amount. Your support means a lot, especially right now during the pandemic. Anyone else who wants to chip in can find a link to Get Up in the Cool's Patreon in the show notes on your podcast app. The show will go on, even though I don't have any more pre-COVID episodes. One more thing before we get started. I'm playing Porch Pride, a Bluegrass Pride Queer and Teen Festival on June 27th, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. It's a streaming festival. The bill is amazing. I can't believe I'm on it. It's an amazing lineup of queer and queer ally artists, and I'm happy to be one of the queers. As far as I'm concerned, my set is my coming out party, and I'd love to have you there. I included a link in the show notes. Go check out the rest of the bill and donate to the festival. Stick around afterwards, and I'll tell you how to keep up with this week's guest. Here's my interview and jam with Tony Mates. Enjoy. Serenade, though you might think it was too young to marry, but it's from Not. Babe Spangler, so it's a tune of many names. Good. And this one was technically Midnight Serenade. Tony Mates, welcome to Get Up in the Cool. Thank you, Cameron. Good to be here with you and Kate. Hello. Here in lovely Olympia. Kate's back, or depending on the order that <laughs> the order. we release these episodes, uh, you haven't met Kate yet. Before. Foreshadowed. Yeah, we'll see. I see. <laughs> yeah. The mysterious Kate will be revealed. Yeah. <laughs> or has been. Yeah. Time's flat circle. Well, uh, people have been asking me to have you on the show for quite a while. Especially Ray. Every time I make a blast Aww. on Facebook, who should I interview at this, you know, Northwest Festival or that Northwest Festival, he says, 
get Tony Mates on yet? Aww. Get Tony Mates on yet? Aww. So, and then at That's the Portland Time Music Gathering, you got the the Bubba Award. It's true. Year. Why did yeah. you Why did you get the Bubba Award? I'm new to the, I'm still new to the scene, and so I'm figuring out everyone's roles and their contributions and yeah. And what? and if he has trouble tuning his own horn, please jump in, Kate. Mm-hmm. And I will. Yeah. <laughs> well, they uh, someone who didn't know anything about it asked me, "Well, what's that? What's the Bubba Award?" And I said, "Well, it's basically community service." Yeah. You know. What did you do? <laughs> what did I do? Uh, uh, played music uh, with other people uh, in a way that that um, uh, that made us friends. You know, yes. uh, my whole life, well, forty years or more of, of doing that, and and uh, uh, just enjoying it so much, and enjoying playing with other people, and mm. and uh, that seemed like a really worthy project in itself and then uh, that eventually uh, 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 took on uh, the job of calling square dances which uh, I fell into quite by accident. How? Um, I used to go dancing every week at the G-Note Tavern in Seattle, Washington. This was in the late 70s, the G-Note. Is it still there? Uh, the building is. Okay, but not the no. Gina. And uh, the Gypsy Gippo String Band yes. were uh, the band that played. And I was... this was, That was Hank, Hank Bradley? Hank was not officially in it. Sandy Bradley okay. was. Bob Ness, Jack Link, Jerry Mitchell, and Warren Argo. I think I, for, I, think I mixed up the Bradleys again. Yeah, and then the later thing. Armin Barnett uh, played okay. with him. Okay. But... I was uh, I was following the music around. I had first heard live in the flesh old time music played by you know humans in about 1975, <laughs> and some of them were were hippies basically, yes. and some of them were were old guys. Benny Thomason had moved to Seattle back then to be near his son, and another fiddler. Um, uh, Joe Panzerowski, who was a great friend of Phil and Vivian Williams, who who also were playing the music and playing bluegrass, which at that point was sort of indistinguishable sure. from old-time music to me. Anyway, I was just smitten by it all, and I started following these bands around, and I would eventually go to the dances to to watch the band. And I sure. would stand right up near the stage. You wouldn't dance? And watch the band. Well, if you've ever been to a dance, you'll find sometimes that if you are... Um, you know, a reasonably presentable-looking person standing near the band, moving in time to the music, that you will get asked right. to dance. And as long as you're not giving actively um, upsetting vibes, right? Someone will ask drooling. you. Drooling. Yeah. So, um, and as it happened, a lot of the people who were dancing were friends that I knew from the music community. Mm. I'd go to jams with them. So. It was not as scary as it might otherwise have been. I remember the first time I went to a dance and and and, and a square dance at the Inside Passage Tavern in Seattle, down in Pioneer Square, and I opened the door in this big swirling room of people filing past, and one of them was a gal I knew, and she said, "Come on in," and I slammed the door and ran the other way as fast as I could. <laughs> <laughs> so. To make a lot of the call. Story short, after going to uh, yeah, after going to dances for um, um, a while, I, I uh, just kind of knew the dances. I knew how they went. Sure. And having listened to Sandy call them and teach them, you know, I, I kind of ha- had an idea how they went. Well, 
it happened that I was at a, a wedding in California and Sandy was supposed to come call a dance and she didn't show, I think. And so someone said, Tony, call a dance. So I said, circle left, circle right. And they did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were mad with power. And then I, yeah. You know, and then you I do whatever I say. And <laughs> Megan Merker, a couple years later, she had been at this dance, at this party, at this wedding, and uh, she called me up and said, Tony, I'd like you to do a whole night of dancing down in Eugene. She was living with, uh, down in Eugene, and she and John Beckoff oh, wow. and, and Molly Tenenbaum were the band, and they said, we'll play, and you, you call. And I said, okay. Good band. Not knowing, yeah. you know, I knew they were great musicians, and, and so that was my first whole life, this is probably about 1983 or 4. Yeah. And then it just went on from there and then inevitably this led to helping organize festivals. Which ones? Well, I've been involved with the Festival of American Fiddle Tunes mm. from the beginning and the Folklife Festival in Seattle and then later Dare to be Square. And so I found myself, um, you know, helping put these things on and and uh, so I think all of those activities um, were um, just enough to put me over the bar for the Bobo Award because when they were when you know they're up there saying uh, and, and they do it gender-free so they say uh, they describe the person who's getting the award and they yes. say they have um, played music and yeah. fostered the music and they have helped with the dance scene and yes. I've got thinking oh, it's, there's a million people yeah. this could apply mm -hmm. to. Yeah. Uh, but then it started to narrow down and focus. And when it got to uh, uh, wordplay, I think I was beginning to worry. And then, uh -huh. then I heard an electric <laughs> drill mentioned because I used an electric drill once to bad effect on, on Judy Lundgren's hair. You can ask her about that. So, well, you're, you've already talked to her. Yeah, but we didn't talk about that. No, well, she, she, she's, she's a kind person, so she wouldn't. <laughs> so um, I um, uh, knew at that I, uh, that the penny dropped, and that was uh, that was when I realized, oh God, they got me. So yeah. anyway, it was you know much much appreciated, and uh, uh, you know it's such a great bunch of people that uh, to to you know to think you've actually had an effect on people's lives is kind of remarkable. Yeah. You know, we all do. Sure. <laughs> you just don't know it. <laughs> anyway. That's me. Well, this has been a great. In no, I got a lot more questions for you. Um, but let's play another yeah, tune another before tune. we do that. We're in. We're in D. Yes. Okay. Um, what did I also was thinking of? Other that little brown jug we played. And what else did I? Oh, uh, coming through the cane break. This is from Mel Durham, who uh, was uh, he was from L.A. Maybe before that from Oklahoma. I'm not sure, but he was friends of the Collins family, Earl Collins and Max Collins, and those guys. And Mel was a bass player and, uh, and, a, and a fiddle player, excuse me. And um, he, he played this tune called Coming Through the Cane Break to Shoot the Buffalo. Try that again.
thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Nice playing with y'all. Me too. So I've been I've been interested in trying to learn how to call for a while because it seems like it's a lot of fun and it's a different way to interact with the music. Mm-hmm. And specifically, it's a way to be at the intersection of um, if this, not that this is a really a true dichotomy, but musicians and non-musicians. Um, <laughs> yeah, because it allows yeah. people who haven't necessarily learned the instruments to engage with music, which I think is really cool. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to be part of that, but I don't have, I really don't have any idea like where to start. And I mm-hmm. would imagine that others listening to this show feel similarly. And I was wondering if you could speak to that. How does, how does, um, let's say, let's say one didn't want to just go wait until they knew all the dances by going to square dances. Yeah. And let's assume we're already doing that. What are some other ways that we can get involved with learning how to call? Yeah. Well, uh, house parties. Okay. Are one of the best ways. Or sometimes at festivals, um, uh, there'll be a jam going on. And there'll be, uh, I remember this happened at Weezer one year, it was really cold. And I ran into a couple friends who were sitting there shivering, and I said, let's, let's have a dance. So I just got, you know, a, a, a six or seven, eight people, and, and we just placed ourselves near this jam and danced to it. Yeah. So that was, that was easy to do, and, and uh, house party, same way. Um, uh, so that you're not in charge of like 100 people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Starting small is easy, and I really encourage if if you want to, uh, if you're doing a small thing like that, be a dancer. To, you know, dance too. Don't yeah, just, don't just stand calling. back from you know. Uh, here now, circle left. No, get out there with them. That makes sense. And circle left. Yeah. You know. Is it hard to is is it hard to call and to dance at the same? I time? I think it's easier. Easier. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, because uh, you have. The, the the muscle memory of of what you're trying to uh, you know you know it before you say it you're gonna circle left so your body's already you know in that direction yeah. uh, so those are two ways um, festivals that uh, uh, promote the uh, calling like Dare to Be Square which is coming up in Oakland in November right. of this year 2020. Um, is a, a great festival for hanging out, playing music, partying, uh, learning about calling, and actually practicing calling. Yeah, do they have like master classes and workshops in calling? Then? There, there are there are things like that. Yeah. Yes, um, uh, usually they invite um, um, a couple of well-known and and skilled callers to come and 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 show their stuff and um so people will go there and and actually you know go to a a little workshop where you have a a band and you have you know some dancers and you you learn how to do it it's not the only thing that i mean dare to be square it's just it's a it's just a a a good social gathering i've yet i've yet to go to one okay i've heard a lot well coming soon yeah, Oakland. Yeah, twenty twenty. Yeah, are you now? Are you still organizing Dare to Be Square? I I resigned uh, from. Um, uh, we did the last one in Seattle. Uh, uh, Is this last no, October? This two right? two years ago. Oh, two years. Oh, okay. Yeah, and um, I I got to the point where I realized that that you you can either organize a festival or attend it but you can't really do both sure <laughs> so I, I thought oh, I, I, I've done enough and I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you know actually get to dance other folks. Tunes. yeah yeah so 
Yeah. Well, thanks for yeah, <laughs> doing all the organizing. I, I always yeah. wonder that about these, you know, people who are organizing these festivals and like are are they able to organize it in a way that they get to have any fun mm-hmm. or are they just taking sort of like one of the one times of year when you know they get to actually play music and or or dance mm. and uh do administrative work instead <laughs> well burnout can be a problem yeah um uh and there's a constant need for renewal and getting sure. getting new people involved. Um, but um, it, it's it's a funny business. You're you're trying to get people to pay money to come and be told what to do. Sure. <laughs> play that chord. Yeah. So. Well, um, let's play uh, let's play another tune, and then I want to ask you about how you started playing the fiddle. Okay. Um, but let's do a tune first. All right. Um, let's see if anything comes to mind. I mean, uh, oops, sorry. Um, Checking the list. This isn't all staged candidness, by the way. We really don't have an official list for this episode. Yeah, <laughs> right. I'm not being coy. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Uh, Try that um, little brown jug from uh, uh, um, Frank George, West Virginia fiddler, who uh, I had the pleasure of seeing a number of times out here on the West Coast. sort of I like these half pint tunes for some yeah. reason <laughs> well, less to think about <laughs> maybe yeah so how how I got into fiddling yes oh my god I started playing guitar when I was in my 20s and I didn't really encounter why, why did you start playing guitar why did I because it was the 60s man everybody did what? You know, it was the folk. It was the folks, the great folk scare, as so called, uh, of the mid '60s. I've heard of it. And also, uh, you know, rock and roll was was uh, guitar based. Yeah. Even though I was not playing electric guitar, and I I, I, I liked all kinds of music. But um, guitar, my I think my brother had a guitar, and I think I, I picked it up and noodled around mm. for years without really learning anything. Mm. And then I, um, I learned a few chords. 
and I always like to sing so that was that was a, a handy thing to have going I always ask my adult students you know when they start with me mm. like what do you see yourself doing because I'm always interested in in the sort of in the imagination and fantasy of someone who wants to learn a new yeah. instrument or wants to learn an instrument for the yeah. first time. And I'm curious if you remember having any of those kinds of ideas and what they might be. Yes. I can remember two paths I did not go down that looked attractive. And one was the um, singer-songwriter path. Sure. Uh, because, you know, Jackson Brown, James Taylor, uh, uh, Joni Mitchell, you know, numerous great songwriters and singers uh, and that seemed like a, 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 an interesting way to go it, 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 uh, uh, I didn't have um, any of the elements necessary to make that happen really <laughs> so uh, and the another one was um, um, fingerstyle guitar mm. which you know I had heard uh, back in college in the, in the late 60s this is in Portland uh, uh, they brought in a lot of old blues players. I remember John Lee Hooker hmm. and various others, also Doc Watson and Merle. This is in Portland. This is and in you, Reed, and you lived in Reed Portland. College. Okay, very good. Yeah, I spent a lot so of time. So John Ullman, who's uh, in Seattle now, but he was involved with, I think, with with bringing talent through to perform for students at Reed, and so I would see these guys, and, and fingerstyle guitar, you know, ragtime guitar, uh, uh, that kind of stuff really appealed to me, but I, I never had the <clears throat> enough motivation, I guess, to, to make that happen. And besides, by, after a little while, I got sidetracked by, by old-time fiddle music, and, and that was something I could start doing right away or at least so I thought I'm gonna challenge this idea because to me <clears throat> as someone who's dabbled with fingerstyle guitar and has done a lot of songwriting uh, it like fiddling seems to me like the most daunting of those three choices like the most intimidating because just of the the physical demands of mm -hmm. the instrument well, I think when I first started playing, I was, as I say, playing guitar. Right. And I knew some chords, and so I could I could make my way into the music with that slender bit of knowledge sure. without actually thinking, oh, I might play the fiddle someday. That was okay. not in my mind. I did uh, shortly thereafter get a mandolin and started... Creeping towards the fiddle. Yes, I know. It's a slippery slope. And... Uh, Lee Stripling, a great old fiddler we knew mm. in Seattle, he used to uh, he's just, he, he started playing mandolin, and that was his gateway to the fiddle. So I played guitar and and mandolin, and I got a fiddle. Actually, I got this fiddle from Peter McCracken in uh, probably the early '80s. I've had it ever since, and uh, I just started trying to play and. Uh, um, uh, it's been a long, kind of slow process for me. It feels like I'm just beginning to, to uh, you know, get some control over the darn thing. And um, um, I think that's something you don't quite realize when you start out doing almost any kind of art. You think, well, 
I'll get good at this, and then I'll be good at this, and then things will be fine. (laughs) (laughs) Not so. No, it's more like uh, I'm going to enter this world, and I'm going to, you know, have to work continually to... uh, to, to keep whatever I have going. Sure. You know, so... You, anyway. didn't, you didn't just arrive someday? I'm waiting. I'm <laughs> waiting. <laughs> no. Um, so, uh, but... Um, I think, actually, I... I, I, uh, I got frustrated playing mandolin uh, because uh, I found... I found it hard to you know to keep up a steady stream of sixteenth notes or whatever yeah. uh, w- with a pick, and and it, and actually the, the the bow seemed easier and and I for whatever uh, reason uh, getting the notes with the left hand, um, um, I may have been fooling myself and I may still be but but I feel like I occasionally get some of them where I want them. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I can kind of relate to that because. Um if you miss on a mandolin, it's a whole other note, or it's just nothing. Yeah. Whereas there's this whole spectrum on the, on mm-hmm. the fiddle. That's a good point. Yeah. And yeah. flat picking is hard. Like, yeah. the few times I've played a mandolin, tried to pick melodies, I, yeah. like, within two times through yeah. the form of the tune, I feel like my wrist is going to yeah. break. Yeah, and unless you're really relaxed, yeah, it, it's hard to do. I can't. Yeah, and so I don't think I was <laughs> relaxed enough. And I also, I started playing bass um, probably in the '80s, sometime, and um, uh, that was very liberating in some ways because um, playing three chord tunes is fairly easy sure. on the bass, especially in keys of G and D and A and <laughs> yeah. so on that fiddles fiddles like. Yeah. Uh, and I found that I could. Uh, uh, be involved in the music at, at a level above. I remember my friend Dave Lang saying, "If you if you play bass, Tony, you'll find yourself playing with much better musicians than you are." <laughs> and I've found that found that to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that that's that's been part of the the whole thing. Hmm. Um, but I I think I just uh, I you know thinking of, about this whole uh, business of playing the fiddle, I've, I. Running lately through my mind is uh, why why is this music attractive yeah. to us? Yeah, and I'm sure everybody has their own different reasons. Um, but one of them for me, um, I grew up in the '50s and the '60s, and I was aware of jazz and classical music and uh, rock and roll Mm -hmm. and even folk music which could mean anything from the Weavers to Burl Ives to Peter Paul and Mary to um, um, the commercial aspects yeah the the commercial aspects and I was aware that all of these musics changed continuously there was always a need to make it different make it make it new make it uh, you know, make differentiate yourself from the other people so that you could sell more records for mm. one thing. But also, just there's this. It happened in classical music. You went from the Baroque period to the to the classical to the Romantic, and so on. Yeah. And always, you know, this whole um, uh, Western uh, to use a, uh, an exaggeration, but notion of improving and progress and moving on to the next thing. 
So I th and I had listened to rock and roll and I loved it and uh, I listened to uh, Broadway shows and classical music and so on. Uh, but when I first started to hear live fiddling, I didn't realize this at the time, but I think what I noticed was this music is fine just the way it is. Yeah. It doesn't need to be improved. Yeah. It, may ch it will change, but that's not my goal. You know, my goal was just to try and play it in a reasonable fashion. So uh, that, and it was accessible. In other words, I hadn't studied music as a kid, and so um, my chances of, of, of playing in a string quartet were probably zilch. I probably could have played in a rock and roll band, but I sort of missed that window, and, and I got tired of rock and roll after about 1972. So it was what was it was what was left, you know. All the all the other sure. music's had, and I still appreciate it. I still like and listen to to all those things. Yeah. But um, um, kind of the, the 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 choice was there, and I you know I thought wow, and you know I should say that um, because of folk life and fiddle tunes. Fo the, the Seattle Festival. Folklife Festival yeah. started by Phil and Vivian Williams in 1970. We're mm. coming up on the 50th year. Um, I became aware of other folk music traditions like Quebecois music and I well, Irish music. There was a thriving Irish music scene in Seattle in, in the early 70s. Um, um, and I didn't distinguish among them that well, though I could tell while well, I like Cajun music, okay, okay, this is from Louisiana, and these are Southern people, and Quebecois, this is from Quebec, so, and there's French in it, and so I was aware that there were different flavors of traditional music, yes. but they all seemed to have the common thing of being non-professional yes. musics that were generated in small communities and passed along through families. Yeah. And uh, that was very attractive, even though what we're doing is a, a kind of morphed tradition. We're, we're, sure. we're passing it around among friends, and, yeah. and it is happening. Like here in, in Olympia, my God, the, the, the generations of, of music it's incredible. players is, yeah. is, um, is wonderful to, to see. Yeah. yeah. So, and the other thing, this is, I don't know if this is relevant or not, but I was trying to figure out why, why would particularly these old-time fiddle tunes, why would they resonate? And I thought, well, okay, growing up, I never heard a fiddle player, but I did hear um, uh, Bonaparte's Retreat as played by, now I'm going to forget who it was, um, uh, the, the um, Appalachian Suite yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and that was transcribed by Ruth Seeger from the recording of, of um, I'm going to forget again. Um, who's, who's, uh, I don't think anyone's going to get mad if you don't remember this name. You're welcome. I to am. Okay. <laughs> uh, we'll fill in that detail later. Yeah. But anyway, so you heard some bits of folk music in classical music. Yes. The Ice Cream Truck. On play our block, turkey play in turkey in the straw. Sure. We sang songs, and this was in 1950s. We sang songs in grade school that were like Civil War songs. Yeah. So Buffalo Gals, yeah. you know. Um, uh, another version of Bonaparte's Retreat, William Step. Yeah. 
was who I was thinking of. But, but Patti Page recorded it as a pop song in the late 40s. You yeah. heard that. And, and though I didn't know it at the time, but a lot of the rock and roll players of, of the original generation grew up listening to the Grand Ole Opry. So did Ray Charles. Yeah, and so and and uh, they heard, um, you know, the, the the southern aspect of the music was new to me because I was a you know a kid from Seattle, yeah. English parents. What did I know about the South? Yeah, not much. But I heard the Everly Brothers and 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 um, uh, Chuck Berry, and and I went, ooh, this is this is different. So um, all those things were in my head before I was 10 years old. Yeah, the seeds were already planted. Yeah, so You just traced them back to... Yeah, at the time I wasn't really aware of Mm. what was going on, but thinking about it now. Yeah, it's in our cultural consciousness. Yeah. 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 Well, what do you want to play next? Well, um, shall we move to G? Yeah, let me get that. Play some G tunes, all right. Check my tune. Yes. That was fun. I love it when the banjo goes up high like that. Oh, good. Yeah. Phew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I think we have time for one more. One more tune? Before we do our bonus track. Oh, yeah, the bonus yeah. track. Um, but before we do that, yeah. what, where would you like people... This is call to action time. Mm. Where do you want people to go And uh, in order to... Hmm. In order to find out more about the local festivals, things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I live in Seattle, and Seattle has a number of old-time music jams. Uh, and there's, uh, among other resources, there's a Facebook page, uh, Seattle Old Time, I think, where you can find out about the Wedgwood Alehouse Jam, which is every Tuesday of the week. Mm. 
Uh, there's another jam in the South End on uh, Monday nights, the Northwest Peaks Jam. Uh, uh, there's some other, there's some slow jams that happen. Uh, so all of those are, are worth looking into. Um, oh, yeah, Josh Larios is slower than Josh. Dirt. Yes, yeah. has has a has a jam, uh, and then there's some dances. Uh, which if you're if you're hoping to play this music and enjoy it, uh, you can hear musicians cut loose. Yeah, a little bit more to dance than than, than you might um, sure. anywhere else, and so and, and also I think dancing gives you a good. Uh, uh, good way to appreciate the music with with you know, all of your your body. Yeah. Um, so the Tractor Tavern once a month and the South Park Square Dance once a month are both dances that are that are that I've enjoyed uh, attending, and playing at, and calling. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, there, there's. Uh, other occasional things that happen. There's some Quebecois um, jam that happens that I like to go to, and you know, uh, just beat the bushes and you'll find something. I'm Great. sure. Cool. I will. I will put some links up in okay. the show notes in case people are Great. unengaged and they want to be more. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Thanks so much for doing this, and thank you, Kate. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you yeah. both, Cameron and Kate. Yeah. It's been been fun to play with you and. Uh, Jabber on a little bit about yes. about this stuff. Good jabbering. <laughs> I enjoyed it. <laughs> to quote, uh, I don't know, who talk is cheap. Yeah. That's why I use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, a good deal. Yeah. Well, yeah. let's see. Uh, another tune? Yes. In, in G. What did we talk about? Oh, we talked about The Good uh, Indian and we talked about Muddy Rose. Whatever you're feeling. Uh, let, let's let's leave. Yeah, let's let's do the good Indian. This is from the Marion Thede Fiddle Book, um, which uh, is another great resource. Um, she was in Oklahoma. She, uh, Brad Leftwich, who's here at, at the festival this this year, was talking about the Collins family mm. and, and uh, other fiddlers that he knew, and they were all. Um, Fiddlers that that Marion Thede uh, recorded uh, in a uh, non-technological way, but she wrote out the tunes yes. that they played. So this is one. I think this is from the Collins family. I'm not sure, but um, we'll give it a try. <laughs> Thank you. 
Check out the Seattle Old Time Music Group on Facebook for jam and dance announcements. They will resume eventually. And make sure to check out the Centralia Campout website for updates at centraliacampout.com. I hope you all come to Porch Pride. It's June 27th and 28th, and my set is on the 27th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. You can support Get Up In The Cool at patreon.com slash getupinthecool. Order a t-shirt, bag, sticker, or phone case at Get Up In The Cool's Teespring store. Make sure to like and follow Get Up In The Cool on Facebook so you can see the video I posted from this episode and share it with everyone you know. Visit pitchworkbanjo.com for my instructional banjo series. Check out my other podcast, Think Outside the Box Set. It's available in all the same places as Get Up in the Cool. And everything I just mentioned is linked in the show notes for this episode in your podcast app. That's all for now, friends. Thanks for listening. Come back same time next week to Get Up in the Cool.